Welcome to the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi. Your life made simple. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi. I hope you guys are enjoying the previous episodes. We're going really gung-ho on bringing speakers in. I know I haven't done a solo cast for a little bit, but it's been fun. We've been getting all sorts of uh, invites for people to come on the podcast, and it's been amazing learning from all sorts of people in their diverse backgrounds. You know, some people that have been in heavy in, in the ER setting to now they're doing more of the holistic coaching. So it's just really interesting. And today I have somebody who is just as interesting and will provide immense value from what I've, you know, had a brief conversation and even read about them. His name is David Richards. He is the number one international best-selling author, life coach, yoga instructor, and self-development speaker. In his debut book, Whiskey and Yoga, it's an awesome title, by the way, David. David shares his wisdom on finding one's purpose and living intentionally. His recently released book called The Lighthouse Keeper, which I'm excited to hear about, is a story around the power of mindfulness, which is why I'm excited to hear about it. And we will explore the ways, and he'll touch on it, that individuals can learn to shift their awareness to master their minds. David's always been curious about the mysteries of the mind and, and how much of it it's still we have to study and still we have to discover. Then we'll go into his background a little bit, and you know, he'll, we'll learn about his life in the Marines and his corporate existence. And, and I, I would love to hear about that first yoga class you took, David, and then how that really ignited you to get forward and, and really live a balanced life is what I like to call it. So David, with much further ado, please welcome to the podcast. If I missed anything, feel free to fill in, but thank you so much for being here. I'm ready to, to have the community learn from your wisdom. That's pretty thorough. There's a, lot to, there's a lot there and a lot to dig into. So I'm excited to be with you and excited to share my message with the audience. Thank you so much, David. So let's get started here. You're familiar with the Steve Jobs quote, right? You cannot connect the dots looking backwards, or sorry, looking forward. You can only connect it looking backwards, yeah. right? And tell us about your story. Tell us about your why. You were a Marine. You were in the corporate world. Yep. You, were, you were traveling all over. I know you were stationed in Japan for a little bit. How does one start there and do what you're doing now? I'm always interested to hear, and there's usually in that conversation, there's just one why that I usually love to understand because that is the catalyst that, that does it. So please, you know, without, I would love to hear your story about what yeah, led no, you here. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so I think, I mean, I think the why for me has always been love. It certainly didn't always represent itself in, in a classic way. I certainly haven't had tremendous necessarily success with love, but it's because the type of love I was looking for. And I think growing up in the military, and I just, I really, this is something that I've kind of reconciled over the last year. Growing up in the military, I didn't realize that I was in the military. Like I didn't realize mm -hmm. that even though I was a kid and I didn't necessarily have a weapon or I go to war or go wear a uniform, I was in the military. And I say that because the military is its own universe kind of. If you live on a military base, it's pretty self-sufficient. And it's not that everyone looks the same because certainly everyone doesn't, but everyone comes, everyone has sort of the same perspective because everybody's a military family. Right. But you have like a grocery store, you have your movie theaters, everything's there. And so you develop this kind of safety. And, and so there were only four years when we lived out in town when I was a kid, out in town being like in civilian world, <laughs> after the Vietnam War was kind of winding down. So people necessarily didn't have a, best view of someone serving in the military but I kind of like you sort of 
get this transitory mindset because you're moving every two or three years. Right. And certainly back in the seventies, even in the eighties and nineties, when you say goodbye to someone, it's not like I'm going to text you tomorrow because we don't have texting and I'm not going to call you because if we've moved States, there are long distance charges that we used to incur to call people. And so it was like, goodbye, you're gone. Wow. And so in some ways this started to shape my personality in ways I couldn't really appreciate. And it would be, I would make friends, I'd be friends. And then there'd be this angst of leaving and saying right. goodbye. And so that kind of, to a degree shaped how I made friends. In one sense, it also created this great spurt of creativity. I loved, as a kid, I loved comic books. You see the Avengers poster behind me. Um, so that's, you know, to see the, the success they've had and, and kind of making this stuff coming, bouncing off comic book pages into, into theaters is pretty cool. But really creative. And, and part of that also then blossomed like into this kind of romance. And like, I remember even as like a 10 year old kid, like fawning over someone. And this is when we lived in Japan and she was another, like she was another, her dad was a Marine too. Wow. But I was like writing this girl poetry when I was 10 and it was like, ugh. and so <laughs> then, so I kind of like, you know, so we continued to move around and then going to college, even though college is kind of this independence, you're still, you know, it's a transitory state because you're only there for four years. I knew I was going to join the Marines because that was how I paid for school. Right. And I didn't know what else I was going to do with my life. Like I had written, I liked writing. I got acknowledged for writing. I got magazine articles published or like a, a short story published in a magazine in high school. But I didn't like think that was something I could do professionally. And so, you know, I kind of went into the Marines. I went into combat arms. So I was in the artillery. So we used to blow stuff up. I was in Somalia, wow. Wow. saw some limited combat there and just kind of was on this programmed journey because my dad had been a Marine for 31 years. That's all I knew how to do was kind of move around. And so it was like, okay, let me follow this script that my dad has laid out, even though he's not, I'm not doing the exact same things he did, but let me at least like, that's a, a good pattern. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I kind of got out in 2006 and that's when I started to start to look at life differently. And I appreciate you saying that your journey really began with love and maybe perhaps a different definition of love back then as it is to what it is now. So walk me through this. Now you've, you've experienced that. What makes you write your first book and why is it called Whiskey and Yoga? I got out of the Marines in 2006. I took my first yoga class about a week after I got out. By my second yoga class, I was kind of hooked. I became an instructor a year later, owned a studio for a while here in North Carolina, but wasn't like a diehard granola yogi. Right. You know, that like if I go 30 miles you know, west of here into Chapel Hill, there are people who like are like deeply, that's like yoga has embodied their whole persona. It's, it's the engulfing, yeah. And for me coming out of the military, which is, you know, we think the military is conservative and I think that's more a view from like a Republican Democrat kind of side, but the military isn't necessarily conservative as much as it is traditional. Every Marine can tell you when the Marine Corps birthday was or who Dan Daly was. And so Shifting into that where in yoga, people were so accepting, it was sort of, it was almost off-putting. Off and so, so I became a yoga, but it was like on my terms, I was going to be a yoga instructor. So in 2017, I was reading Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich in the first or Lovely second book, chapter. Lovely book, by the way. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. But in the first or second chapter, he says, what is your purpose in life? And it was like, a, it was like someone hit me with a shovel. It was like, purpose in life? What are you talking about? Like, in the Marines, I just wanted to know where I was going to go next. 
and how long, I had, you know, how long before I went there, and hopefully it was gonna be doing something that I liked doing, but a purpose in my life, I was like blown away. So I wrote, I got a notebook, I wrote a purpose statement and it had to do with writing. And I think for Christmas, actually, I had gotten, I, I became a, over the last few years, I'd become a, a fan of scotch. Uh, <laughs> Christmas got me a whiskey and yoga t-shirt. And I said, I'm gonna call the book Whiskey and Yoga. And so then it was like this sort of challenge to myself. Well, how can I bring these two disparate ideas together? Because it's meant to be ironic or tongue in cheek on a shirt, but if I'm really gonna say, this is your purpose, how do I bring these things together? And it really, for me, it became a story of, you know, each tells a story of a spirit. And for a, a whiskey, it's in a cask, and right. it's the aging of the whiskey in a cask. And for yoga, it's the spirit in the body and, and the mind really, because the mind is part of the spirit, it's something separate. So, so that was it. And I, I started out and I had 200 pages of autobiographical material. And I was like, no one is gonna, I, I, I think wow. I wrote it like four months. And I was like, no one's gonna give a crap about this because I'm only halfway through. So it's gonna be like a 500 page book. <laughs> and so I kind of put everything aside and I wrote a 10 chapter outline for self-help book. It took me about two months to write, and then it published in October. It went to number one uh, wow. on Amazon for self-help and yoga, and that was it. Sometimes those ideas that just come spur the moment. I mean, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, sometimes the ideas that you don't pay as much attention to or don't want to materialize to fruition are the ones that actually kind of, you know, when they say when you let, truly let go is when the materialization, the universal, if you're holding on to, oh, God, I want that new house, the new car. I want that business account. I want that book to publish. And you keep on thinking about it. What I was taught is that you're not giving the energy from here. You're not letting the energy go from here into the material world to actually have it materialize. So it's so interesting when you said that about your 500 page book versus your, your self-help other one. It was like 150 pages. Yeah. yeah that, that you spent what you say, four months writing. I did. I wrote from yeah. January. I could start writing probably January 3rd or 4th. Cause I think I was still on like break. And yeah. uh, I got, it was right around tax time and I kind of looked at what I had and I had just finished like a section on Somalia, which was 1992, 93. Wow. The page count was like 206 pages. And so I'm like, okay, so it's 2017. I'm at 1993. It just, it wasn't going to make sense. And so I realized I had to go different, but I realized I also, I had to write those 200 pages to get to the point where I'm like, I can't go this path. And, right. and that's the other thing too is, I've written books before. I, I've started writing books before and I always like, I always wanted to write horror stories because I was a big Stephen King fan. Ah. Really neat genre just to play with the psychology of like people's feelings and, and getting inside someone else's head. And like, that's what I love about Stephen King is like, he gets you inside a character's head and then takes you along the journey as the character goes crazy. And you're like, whoa. Correct. And so, but I'd always stopped. And so I'd written those 200 pages and rather be frustrated. I'm like, okay, I know this isn't the book I need to write. And you know, whiskey and yoga ended up being like about 147 pages. And it's kind of really short snippets because I was also mindful of in this day and age, people want something that can digest really quickly. And so it'd be like one page, this two or three pages, this, and then you're constantly shifting ideas. And actually my second book, the lighthouse keeper was born in whiskey and yoga because I have a section where I talk about kind of the, the analogy of the framework that I put up for, um, for the lighthouse. I'd like to get into that. So eventually whiskey and yoga gave birth to Lighthouse Keeper. Do you think that was your part two to tell? Maybe I need to, to, to share this with the world. So why the transition from that to that? Was it a natural growth or was it a different theme you wanted to pick up? 
Not at all. It's kind of discovery. And, you know, you hit, you said something earlier about like letting things go. Right. The other thing true is sometimes it's the, it's the slightest sliver of an idea that we grab onto and we're like, oh my gosh, what is right. and like, so it becomes this passion. So I had mentioned there's, there's kind of like two sections in wisdom yoga where I talk about the lighthouse. And my whole purpose in talking about it was because in order to find your purpose, you kind of have to get your head right. And you have to sort of like step back from, okay, my purpose has nothing to do with materialism. My purpose has nothing to do with a specific job, right. I'm a corporate job or something else. My purpose is the thing that fulfills me because I am helping contribute to the benefit of others. And that's like, I mean, that's kind of what coaching is, right? Because a coach doesn't provide answers to a client. A coach just gets curious. Correct. What's fulfilling is when you see a client shift and you're like, oh my gosh, I asked a good question. Yeah. That's the fulfilling piece. So the lighthouse, you know, there are two sections where I was just trying to orient people on how to kind of think about their head and how to think about their mind. And the premise simply was that your mind is this vast ocean where all your memories are, all your thoughts are, all your recollections of people are. Your awareness then is a lighthouse. And typically we create habits and patterns in our lives. And so every day the lighthouse kind of goes in its own pattern. So I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna have my oatmeal for breakfast. I'm gonna drive into the office. This is the route I always take. Right. So the lighthouse just goes along this path. Well, if you start to become really mindful and start to become aware, which is obviously what yoga really teaches, then you can start to shift and direct the awareness, your lighthouse to where you want it to go in the ocean. So instead of constantly going back to the self-defeating talk because of a bad memory that you held on to, you can say, you know what, I'm designing and creating my life. And I, you know, honestly, it wasn't planned. I remember when I wrote it, I shared it in a yoga class and, and people sort of liked, I could see it kind of resonate and it felt good to me, but it was like two years later, I was actually listening to a monk talk about awareness. And he basically said the same thing. He just wasn't using a lighthouse in an ocean, but he said, you know, this blank canvas and you have this ball of light. Was it a Dandipani? It was. Yeah, I know. I know him. He's, a, he's great. He's an amazing. He's and, and, yeah, he's brilliant. And he's simplifying very complex concepts. So. No, I love that you know him. Yeah. So like, so I, I saw that. I think it was a video I saw on YouTube and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the lighthouse keeper. Yeah. Whole, so I got I to gotta make a book. And so I, I, I started writing, I think probably right then, I started kind of coming up with something for the Lighthouse Keeper. But now, because I just talked about this recently, was like they say when you create, when you, when you get into writing, like you should stick to one genre. Whiskey and Yoga is a self-help book. The Lighthouse Keeper is nonfiction. And people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, it's not like, I'm not trying to market like to sell the most books. This is my journey. And I'm sharing it with people because like, my journey is going to continue with my third book. And I know that's going to be like hugely significant. And so I'm trying to build out my journey. So like I had no idea that I was going to write, <laughs> but I love that I did because it, it right. turned out I think, to be a really good book. Let's move on to a little bit of how, how you practice mindfulness on a daily basis and how has that impacted your life? Because you know, what you're saying is, is so around that, like that you, you were able to, discover this part of your mind and how you can materialize certain things, but then how the awareness is so important. It's always interesting to me that the mind is not designed to multitask, yet we find ourselves doing it. I'm not saying you cannot. Absolutely, we can. Like, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at a computer screen. I'm standing yeah. up. That's kind of considered multitasking, right? 
So we can do it. Is it the most efficient? And will it give you more stress? I've seen personally, yes. Focusing on one thing at a single time, you'll, get, you'll be the most efficient. And then by the way, the stress won't be there. It's interesting to me, just the mindfulness around that. But how have you incorporated mindfulness into your daily life? And how have, how have you seen it shift for you? And then have you seen it ripple through to other people that are close to you? Because that's always interesting to me. You know, so that's a first component of yoga, right? Is, is, I mean, that's the whole sort of nirvana. Is the, the, the fundamental idea of yoga is what's the relationship between the observer and the observed. Yes. And, and that's what awareness is. And so that was what drew me into yoga was, you know, in my last assignment in the Marines, I was working a lot in Central America, but I was working. Like I wasn't in front of a computer all day taking email and having conference calls. I was talking with human beings who were breathing right next to me. And so when I got into corporate America, my first job, like I was just inundated with email and it was like, what is this information overload? And so I would leave and there'd just be this noise in my head. It would be to-do lists and replaying phone calls I'd had and like agendas that I need to complete or tasks or whatever. And it was just manic. And what I found when I got into a yoga room and got on the mat was it got quiet and it was, yeah. it was like, what is that? It was yeah. a shocking discovery. And so, and I'd always, I'd, it's the weird thing, even before, I guess really not before, but certainly coming out of Japan, I lived there for, from fifth to seventh grade, but I started to meditate. Like I would have, I got fascinated by samurai, samurai culture and Bushido. And so I had, I became sort of fascinated with swords. And so I had like a Japanese sword and I would put that down in front of me. And I was like 14 or 15 years old. And like my other friends were out like partying or whatever. And I would be like looking at the sword, trying to like do something in my head. And I didn't kind of know, like I didn't know what, to, what I was supposed to do. So yoga kind of helped me get there. The Marine Corps helped me to an extent because there were times, especially like when you're in, like in Somalia, where you need to sort of decompress or get away from like what you've been doing. But it really became like, how do I, how do I start to shape and control that awareness? And the biggest piece, the biggest understanding, I think that anyone can really achieve to, to, kind of take the leap is to realize that your body and your mind are vessels, they're tools, that they're not who you are. Like, right. like your body's a representation of your past, your mind is this kind of mechanism where you talk between your awareness, this greater essence of you and your physical presence. You know, just through practice, through meditation. And then I found like, instead of doing self-meditation, which I always kind of felt frustrated by, I started getting into guided meditations. And that was like the power of the internet finding these meditations and what I've come to appreciate is like the last time, but like there's times now and part of it's because of the pandemic, but there's times like I'll just go outside and I'll just sit in my back and there's a nice copse of trees and I don't have my phone. I don't have a book. I just want to like, you just be, be. Yeah. And that's something I think that we so take for granted in this day and age of multitasking because we absolutely like so much stuff done. But oh my gosh, the power of just being is so blissful. And so it's been like between that and I, and I think part of it in some ways becoming kind of really owning my, the writer that I've always wanted to be and stepping into that has helped too because the writing process is so creative and you sort of have to oh, yeah. and get away from like everything else to focus on whatever this idea is. And you create this sort of love affair with this idea because the idea comes at you and it's like, well, why not do this? Or like, sometimes I'll write stuff. And I'm like, that's not what I was thinking of writing. And yet that's really interesting that I wrote that. So I like to tell people, this is me. 
that meditation does not mean you sit down, you close your eyes, you go within, or you listen to a guided meditation. It could be exactly what you're describing, David, is that it could be your writing process. What I say is anything that takes you and connects you back to the moment and you lose track of time and you lose track of any mental chatter or thought, you're there. I've played basketball and I cannot recall the time or that. And that was to me is was my meditation for the day. Now, do I meditate? Yeah, I love it. It's just, it's, it's a connection back to who you are, but it doesn't have to be a sit down, listen, or go within practice. It could be dance. It could be doing a hobby. It could be anything. And I tell people that to let them know that, look, you cannot expect to reach like the Zen mind that a monk has been doing nothing but that for, for years and then just reach it in, in day one and day two. That's people get really frustrated with that. And I say, just like any other practice, you wouldn't go to the gym, jump on a treadmill once, run a mile and be like, I got a six pack. <laughs> you know, right. it takes time. And the same thing, you've been conditioned so much. The mind has been conditioned a certain way and habits. And like you said, it's so interesting what you said. You just go in the backyard and sit. How many times do we now, you know, we were in the park or we're in a setting where you'd be like, you'd be immersed, but people are on right here, just on their phones, you know? Yeah, it's, so it's, 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 you board a, board a plane. I'm sure people haven't done that recently because of COVID, but board a plane. When you're going through the middle aisle, everyone's just looking down on their phones, you know? I mean, and I, and I get it. There's maybe nothing else to do while you're waiting there, but it's a shift. It's, it's, it's been a change and it's so interesting to me. And you're right. It doesn't shut off the chatter. It encourages it. And you go to sleep with that. And the chatter spins around in your subconscious. It doesn't let you relax and get that deep and restful sleep that people are wondering why they're not getting. Yeah, it's so true. Well, I think, you know, I think the basic, I'm actually giving a presentation on this Friday night. Awesome. The basic idea for mindfulness, I think, is pattern interrupt. Yeah. I like to tell people if they're like completely new and they're like, well, I don't, you know, like I'll tell people, you know, every atom in your body is 99% energy and 1% matter. And like, oh, I don't believe it. I can feel everything. Well, yeah, that's yeah, because you have a lot of atoms that make you up. But, but for people who, who that's kind of too far a leap to make, that we're all just energy vibrating a certain frequency, like, okay, look at any pattern you have in your life. What hand do you brush your teeth with? Yep. Try to brush your teeth with the other hand and see how it feels. If you still drive into the office somewhere, and take the same way every day, take a different way because that's what awareness is. Suddenly now you have to pay attention to what you're doing because this route isn't familiar to you or it feels weird because I'm using my left hand to brush instead of my right hand. That's all mindfulness is. So then it's a question of, well, how can I bring more of this into my life? Because like we all have that conversation with ourselves in our head and sometimes it's combative and confrontational, but then if you're like, well, it's, if many, many it, times it is combative. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a part of me. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, it's so interesting to me because you look at a kid playing with themselves, like just having the time with their toys or whatever. Yeah. And they are so content to be their best friend. They're talking to themselves and you know, it's because the voice in their head is playing some counterpart role for them in this little scenario. Correct. And we dismiss it as this childish thing. And then at some point, like we say that voice is our enemy. And they're like, well, no, I'm in charge. Like, I'm going to show you how this right. go. And the voice is like, well, wait, no, that's not what you said. And so you're like, shut up. Yeah. Realize that you're like, you're, and in some ways, I think we tear ourselves apart only to come back together. And I certainly feel like that's a lot with my journey. Right. And that's where the mindfulness part and the awareness, like what Dandipani was saying is you can reach a point where you're like that voice in your head, who's aware of that? <laughs> right. 
I, I understand for some people listening, maybe that that went beyond or whatnot, yeah. but for people that are meditating deeper or have experienced other things, awareness is getting to that point where it's in the easiest thing to explain is imagine awareness as a sky. Okay. The sky does not care if there's dark clouds, light clouds, sunshine, rain, it eventually things will come and things will pass, but the sky is always there in observation, yeah. unattached, unemotional. Now, Am I there? No. I mean, I've got a lot of, a lot of ways to go and, and many other people too, but I've experienced that. When you experience that, it shows you your true power and how much of what goes on up here is, like you're saying, David, is on replay, which is why it's so nice to kind of shift. Okay, do I brush with my right? Maybe I go with my left. And that's the power within that. It can be truly transformative. Like, like what you're saying, maybe if you eat a certain breakfast every single day, switch it up. See what happens. Yeah. That resistance is your friend. It's not your enemy. You're, it's going to be, you're going to resist it. Be like, ah, oh, it's so easy just to make a smoothie. Okay, try oatmeal. Why not, <laughs> right? I mean, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. And, and that's, that's what's so interesting about this is, well, you were saying that example about the voice in your head. I think, I'm not sure if you follow Hindu uh, mythology or not, but Lord Krishna uh, said this to uh, Arjun when they were at the battle. They're like, your mind is either your best servant and friend or your worst enemy. And yeah. I've, I've been on both sides and I can oh, tell sure. you, you, you don't want it to be your worst enemy. I mean, I, I had a, you know, I mean, after my brother passed away, I went into deep PTSD and anxiety and depression. That's a very dark place to be. And unless you have the awareness, it's hard to pull yourself out of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course the support as well, but it's so true. And I think the work you're doing, which is so phenomenal to help people. And I think many people, Thankfully and gratefully for the internet, you know, we get to discover for free people oh, like Gundipani. Like, like you can listen to a podcast all about this. You can learn meditation. You, thanks to, I call it YouTube university and many people do <laughs> 24 hours. You know, you, you could spend some, some good amount of time and just learn how to do the meditation that's right for you or, or learn any yoga practice under the sun. It's amazing. It's how quickly you can get to a real conversation with someone. Like, I mean, certainly this is a great example, but I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn a couple of weeks back and she was doing interviews, trying to understand the future of work and the ramifications for working at home. And I'd followed her because I'd seen an article like six months ago about the future of work that she posted and I was interested. And so she reached out and immediately, like you get into this really substantial engagement with someone as opposed to, well, where are you from? Oh, that's nice. What do you like to do? Oh yeah, me too. It was like, no, let's talk about this. And I think that's one of the phenomena that we haven't necessarily appreciated is because of the pandemic, and most people are still now kind of working from home or like living their life here, they're spending more time with themselves. And so they can't get away from, they can't have these routines. And when you think about, you know, you think about why, why do I need to be so efficient with my breakfast so that I can go and be really efficient at work. So I can go be really efficient at a 40 minute lunch. So I can go really be efficient at these things. Like, why do I need all this efficiency in my life? Like what, what, what's the end goal that I'm like, I'm trying to get towards something. What am I trying to get to for me coming to a place where it's like, wow, I get to slow down now. I don't have to do these. I don't have to build this structured life or fulfill this life that I've structured. Instead, I can spend out, go outdoors at irregular times because something's calling to me that I like, I want to sit with. And then it's like, all right, well, I want to sit with that more because now I'm starting to raise my awareness that there's more to, existence than just this material world that we've gotten caught up in for so long. So much is coming out now, and I'm sure you've heard of Ariana Huffington. 
she put she she stresses how much you know you should sleep and so many of these other entrepreneurs that were like yeah 18 20 hour days and i see it's i see it so much on instagram and and twitter like hustle 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 grind 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 the interesting thing is the body and the mind is a machine at the end of the day you feed the body with nutrition exercise and you feed the mind with good thoughts stress relieving things and creativity to challenge it but if you keep on a car analogy, if you keep on revving your car at eight to 9,000 RPMs and it's in the red and you keep on doing it forever, it ain't going to last, right? And the thing is, you may be able to do it for a certain amount of time when you're younger, but eventually that'll catch up in, in the form of, I, I strongly believe that it'll show up in mental stress and, and, and things that'll affect your mental state, emotional well-being, and even physical, you know? And, and that, that to me is, is not, it's counterproductive. There has been so many things that you, you, you give yourself, like you were saying, David, a, de- a focused, dedicated time. You're yep. all in and you give yourself a little bit of rest and you go back and you give yourself, I forgot what this technique is called. It has a name, but it's shown that people are be able to be so much more efficient and get so much more done and feel good about it too. Yep. You, you just cannot be just all go, 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 go. If you want an example, you know, go, I mean, it doesn't take far to go look, you know, I mean, I, I have so many people that in my friends and, and circles that, that do this, that they don't realize that it's hurting them. In some ways, it's our culture. I think especially in the West, or at least certainly in the United 100% States. 100% agreed. Sort of paranoid, my American dream is just around the corner kind of thing. And it's right. so interesting because I contrast that with people and friends I have in Europe. And it's kind of much more relaxed. And it's much more like, you know, I think someone said it best, dear friend of mine, she's French, she said, you know, in Europe, I think we prefer, certainly in France, they prefer to have a life as opposed to making a living. Oh, wow. and, and I think that's so profound because like, and that's the other thing that the pandemic has brought is like, yeah, I still have things to do, work to do, what have you, but like there's this, there's this deeply satisfying thing with inside that feels like I'm creating this life. And because it's like working in my next book or having the chance to talk to amazing people like you, it's, it's also incredibly fulfilling because I get to talk about this thing that is blossoming inside me that I love talking about because I know hopefully it inspires other people to like, well, what is my purpose in life? Yeah. Or, or it's interesting. Well, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. David, I always hate to do this, but I mean, this could go on. We could probably yeah. go on another hour. I, I, and this has been such a fantastic conversation. And for everybody listening, guys, this is the first time me and David have had a lengthy conversation. I mean, we, we've connected briefly just before this call, but I think that's a testament to saying that like when both people have found their purpose or passionate about something or passionate about helping people and value, a natural conversation just go off. And, and, and to be honest, David, I don't like to script these as well. I'll have yeah. a rough outline and then everything that flows because I feel like I block myself and you, just, you never know how the conversation's going to go. So it's been an absolute honor, pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure I want you back on here, you know, if we can work out the schedules uh, soon because I think that there's so much to follow up on, but how can people learn about you? How can they get in touch with you? And where can they buy these amazing books that we spoke about earlier? Oh yeah, thank you so much. So davidrichardsauthor.com uh, is my website Sign up. I, I post, um, I've got a friend who's actually gonna put something together on, on healthy living. Uh, so I'm gonna share that. My books are available on the website too. David Richards author on Instagram. Otherwise, you can get them on Amazon and some other sites, but uh, we haven't obviously done a, a physical distribution uh, since bookstores are, are. Absolutely. But I think most people get, I mean, I always get it on Amazon. So yeah, it's, it's easy. Two, two clicks, add to cart, 
pay. In a day and a half, it's here. <laughs> it's, a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. As oh, it's, it's amazing. So, David, at the end of these, I always like to – I call this like you can kind of hang your hat off now. You can take off the who you are person, and we get to go – we get to know you from the other side. So these are just questions that I, I like to brush off and, sure. and pass your way. Uh, they're kind of off the cuff and they're supposed to be it. because, you know, I think it's just, and I don't want to give you too much time to think, just kind of want to, you know, get to know you on a different level. So here we go. If with your permission, sure. what is one book and it cannot be yours that you would like to pass on to your children's children. I know I, I, it's funny when I ask this with authors, I'm like, Oh yeah, he has books, but you can't, you can't use your own. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even say my, I wouldn't say my book. Yeah. I wouldn't even say my books. Um, I just, it's such a, I mean, there's so many great books. No, I think, uh, and I don't remember the guy's name, which is terrible, but it's by my bedside, the magic of believing. Uh, um, I, I've heard of that one. Yeah. I think it was written in the fifties and it really, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, really strong proponent of Tony Robbins. I think he's done some amazing work, but he, he did something recently where he talked about kind of, kind of the cycle of belief and how we all have so much potential, but the action we take doesn't usually reflect our potential. The results we get don't reflect because we took action that was kind of half-assed or whatever. And so it kind of reinforces this belief, well, see, I told you I was going to fail. Yeah. And I think it kind of turns around like, well, how certain are you? And I think that's what that book reminds me of, like, how strong is your belief in anything, in what you believe about your life and existence, whatever you want to call it. But because it's kind of this magic thread that you start to pull on, you're like, well, what, what do I believe? Okay. Right, right. So that, that book, I think, uh, resonates. And I think it's kind of the, the magic of believing itself sort of has a, a mystical feel about it, even though it's pretty easy to read. So. I love that. And when you said Tony Robbins, I'm, I'm about to start rereading Awaken the Giant Within here. So, you know, I love that book. Yeah. What is your ideal vacation spot or where, sorry, where is your ideal vacation spot? Or it could be what to sometimes yeah, people answer no, that in my backyard, you know, so. I would say Costa Rica because yeah. uh, I've been there. The rainforest is so plush. Oh, and I heard. It's amazing. Done such an amazing job of preserving it. I think like 30 or 40% of their land is like federal so you can't touch it and it's all pristine rainforest i, I think just maybe think one of the only places in the world like that right so yeah i mean and it's yeah. so I mean, just the divert like i i mean i've seen i've been in like vietnam i've been to different places but <laughs> like you know i went on a tour with someone this this young man who uh his parents were costa rican he grew up in the state somehow just the diversity of life from the monkeys we heard to this caterpillar that burned my fingers because i touched it so wow. plants we ate along the way i mean just so rich and the people are so beautiful and lovely like they you can tell that they love the country uh, as well so it's really quite beautiful what are the top three things you're grateful for every day oh my gosh um i told you i was gonna come at you yeah no i think my connection to my faith is one um especially in the day and age we live in now i think having you know comes back to what you believe and having this rock solid belief inside that things are going to be great is is beautiful i think just the daily interactions i have with people whether it's people like you or we have a chance thank to you and share some messages or it's you know friends you know someone reached out to me today because i didn't make it to the gym this morning I'm like is everything okay i'm like yeah just tired but um that's a good friend yeah just just interactions like that and then i think just just appreciating every day is so beautiful. Like just, and this is going to sound so kind of silly, but like being able to go outside and 
and see like the trees in my yard and really appreciate them like changing colors, the leaves changing colors. And then this descent as leaves start to fall, like really taking time to notice something that otherwise the only time I would have noticed it was when I had to go rake uh, the backyard. And now being like, this is like, this is a beautiful thing. And this is part of like what makes living on this planet as amazing as it is. Yeah. It's so funny. You said that I had AJ from my seven chakras on, I think okay. you, you, you also yeah, yeah. were on his podcast yep. and me and him were talking about how I've recently been doing this on a daily. I've watched the sunrise and I like to watch the sunset. Ayurvedically, that also helps set the circadian rhythm to what it's yep. supposed to be. But, and the sunsets and sunrises here in Texas are gorgeous, by the way. So my, my house on the, on the backside faces east. So I just come outside and go to my living room and the little backyard and I can just sit there and watch the sunrise. And then obviously the, the front faces West and I can see the sunset from my, from my kitchen living room. So it's just a treat to see that. And you're just like, God, this is gorgeous, you know, and, and you sometimes miss it, but it's, it's so true that when you stop again around the mindfulness, right? I love what is the one quote you live your life by on a daily basis, David? Oh man. Uh, this is a tough one because I have many, but I, I like to, you can say a couple, but I want to see if you can get out one from you. You know, I, I, I go with you, reap what you sow. And I think mm. it's, it's a very simple way to practice not just mindfulness, but gratitude. Like everyone in life is going through their struggle. Everyone's going on their journey. And we don't always take the best path. Sometimes we take a hard path because like that's the lessons we have to learn. And I think, you know, to go back to Tony Robbins, there's another good quote, life doesn't happen to you, life happens for you. For you, yeah. yeah. If you start to really, and it took me a long time to really appreciate that. And it wasn't that I victimized myself, but I just conditioned myself through moving and everything else that like, I'm going to have good friends for a couple of years and then I'm never going to see these people. And if I start dating someone, I got to figure out how much time we have before I move to see if I can really <laughs> make an investment in the relationship. But when you start to look at life happening for you, then you start to realize that there's lessons to be learned. And you're like, well, if there's lessons to be learned, then that suggests that, okay, I can just learn lessons, but if there's lessons and everything happening in my life, then there's a higher purpose to life. And that speaks to this transcendent moment where you can do a lot of dig digging, a lot of discovery. But I think between reaping what you sow and just being, you know, coming back to treat everyone with grace, to treat everyone with respect, and then appreciating that life happens for us, for everyone, because I think that also goes into the coaching piece. When you see someone who victimizes himself, you can try to get them to turn around by, by showing them, well, how can you learn from this? How can you improve from this? It's beautiful. David, my friend, thank you so much for this conversation. I feel, I feel like, although this is our first time talking, I feel like we've, we've had this conversation before or a series it. of these. Yeah. And I would love to have you on again to provide your value. We'll share all the contacts that people can learn about you in the show notes. So it'll be there in writing, but you know, people you've spoken about it as well. So I just want to say thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Likewise. I look forward to it. And yeah, let's definitely do this again. I'm working on my third book uh, nice. early next year. I hope it'll be done and then we'll get it to the publisher, but uh, super excited about this one. Thank you. And thank you everybody for tuning in. I know you're going to glean so much wisdom, so much knowledge from the conversation that we just have. Uh, had and you know just the amazing experience that David brings in and how much he is the things that he's taking for for just gratitude on a daily basis and the practice around mindfulness so I just want to say thank you everybody it was a treat and as always I'm so grateful that you're listening thank you for joining me on another episode of the Balance Being Podcast with Guni Sodi 
We hope this episode helped make your life simple. It would mean the absolute world to us if you share, subscribe, and let others know about the work we do here. Thank you. And join us next week on the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi.